You enjoying our service? I know I am. Great music. It's great to be together. We don't uh, take that for granted. Just great to see everyone. And uh, we're excited about what's happening. Starting a new series. Before I get to that, just uh, want to let you know uh, there's a blurb in our bulletin. Franklin Graham is gathering with some Christians. Uh, they'll be together in Washington, D.C. this Saturday. We'd love for you to, to pray for that as we look for ways we can impact our country for, for Jesus and uh, cool stuff there. And then we're starting this new series called My City, My Responsibility. And that's all about how we as Christians, God has given us a responsibility to impact the people around us personally. And so we want to take that to heart. And um, we, we all have a desire to change the world and to help people. You know, we see that in politics. People just have different ways of how they think, how best to do that. But uh, we all have this desire to help people and see the world change. And actually, God tells us how we can best do that. And, uh, and that's how we need to spend our lives. As some of you know, Pam and I and Carissa were um, in Yellowstone and the uh, Grand Tetons uh, a couple weeks ago and kind of toured through those and uh, uh, had, had a great time. We're actually also listening to an audiobook. Have you done the audiobooks? If you're ever on a long road trip, audiobooks are great. Somebody's reading you a story. Anyway, we're listening to an audiobook called Death in Yellowstone, which is a book I'd already read. But that's a better book to read when you're leaving Yellowstone rather than when you're going, because then you're always thinking, wow, what can kill me around here? But uh, Death in Yellowstone. And it's just a reminder that, hey, Nobody intends to die. None of those people in the book intended to die that day. They were enjoying the scenery, loving the outdoors, but ended up here. And we don't know, any of us, that we will have another day. And we want to leverage every day from this day till the day that our life ends for the kingdom to do what God would want us to do, to change people's lives in the best way we know how. And the best way we know how is to give other people what we've received, Christ, which is everything to us, new life, eternity. All that is what we want to impact uh, others with, so we want to leverage our, ourselves to do that. And that's why our purpose statement at Grace is to just help people. We want to help people First of all, discover truth, and after they discover truth, then decide on Jesus. After they discover the truth, what God did, uh, the whole thing of Jesus, why he came, why he died, then we want to help them to make a decision to decide on Jesus. And then once they decide on Jesus, the four Ds, easy to remember, then the next thing is, we'll know that is a true decision, we'll know that's real in their lives, we'll know that's authentic, because then they will demonstrate change in their life. Because when we become believers, our lives change. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We want to live for Christ. We have different priorities. We have a purpose in our life. So we demonstrate change. And then one of the best ways we do that as we grow in Christ is that we deploy for others. So discover truth, decide on Jesus, demonstrate change, deploy for others. That's what we want to do with people in our world, in our community. And if we want to change the world, that's the way to do it. And here's how Paul describes that to us. It's in Colossians chapter 4, 
beginning with verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, beginning with verse 2. Paul's writing a church in Colossae, a church kind of like ours, and here's what he's telling them. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the world, I'm sorry, door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I also have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. I kind of mess up those first few. Let's go back to verse two. Let me try to get it right. I can do that a little better, I think. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I also have been imprisoned. What's he saying? Basically, here's what he's telling us in these verses, verses two to six. He's saying, first of all, we need to talk to God about people. What he's asking them to do is talk to God about how effective we are in reaching people. And he's also saying, and hey, pray for me specifically, that a door will open, that I'll have an opportunity, and that that I'll use it well. So first thing, He's telling us, talk to God about people. And he tells us how to do that. That devote yourselves to prayer, that we'd be consistent, persistent, that we wouldn't give up. And then keeping alert. Keeping alert regarding, keeping watchful regarding who and what we should pray for to advance God's kingdom. Then he says, with an attitude of thanksgiving. That should not be hard for us. Because when we come to God, we're thankful that he invites us into his presence. But we're thankful more than that, that he has saved us, that he has cleansed us from sin, that he has given us new life and given us eternal life. And so when we approach him, it's all out of that kind of attitude, an attitude of gratitude, an attitude of thanksgiving. And notice, Paul's not saying, hey, pray that I won't go back to prison because I've been in prison. No, he's saying, pray wherever I'm at, that I'll be able to speak clearly, that I'll get it right, that I'll be able to share with people, point to them the mystery of Christ. And the mystery of Christ is simply the gospel, this news that Jesus, Son of God, came and died on the cross for our sins, paid our sin penalty. That was hidden in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament. It's the mystery of Christ, the gospel, the good news. That's what that means. And he talks about praying for clear speech. He's saying, hey, pray for me that I will speak in a way that people will clearly understand this good news, this mystery of Christ, this what Christ has done for us. That, that they would get it, that I would be able to say it in such a way that they would understand it. That's what he's saying. So right here we're saying, talk 
to God about people. First thing that God wants us to do. Talk to God about people. But the second thing is talk to people about God. We should talk to people about God. That is, is what God has not just called pastors to do, called all of us as believers to do. It's those last two verses, remember? Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, non-believers. He's telling all of us, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how you should respond to each person. Hey, we need to connect with people and talk to them about what God has done in our life. And we should ask God, how can we best approach people to talk to people about God? We should pray about that. Before we talk to people, talk to God, pray about it, how we can do that most wisely, how we can do that the best. And then he says, listen, be wise to non-believers. He tells us how. Hey, how do you talk to people about God? First of all, be wise toward non-believers. Be smart, tactful. Not so tactful you don't say anything. If you have a, a good friend that you've never talked to God about, and it's been five years, you're being way too tactful. You know, talk to them about God. And, and I know that this is a little harder now than it used to be. You know, this year, 2020, is kind of a strange year. And with social distancing and mass, you know, communication's not the greatest. How many of you have been at a store where they have the plexiglass? They're wearing a mask. Maybe you're wearing a mask. And then they're telling you something. You know, and you're like, I can't understand anything you're saying. You know, we have that. But still, I think that even though it may be a little harder in some ways... I think in other ways, we may have a better opportunity to do that. Because I think sometimes people nowadays, more say 2020 rather than 2019, feel more isolated, maybe a little bit more alone, maybe a little bit more sort of in their bubble and maybe even getting tired of that, ready for something new, ready to break out, ready, ready to have a little more one-on-one. -on -one. So I think we can use that to our advantage. The weird thing is while we're out west hiking on the trails, First of all, I'm not used to so many people being around because there were a lot of people. It was, it was a Labor Day weekend. It was like, wow, I didn't really factor that in. So Yellowstone kind of crowded. So on these trails, you're passing people a lot. Well, when I'm hiking on trails and I pass somebody, of course, usually it's very few people. You know, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Well, now all of a sudden there's people all over the place, you know. And so, hey, how you doing? Hi, hi, you know. Nobody else is saying anything, but I'm going, hey, how's it going? Hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. You know, that, uh, I don't know why I do that. I just do, but. You know, it's a little different, but hey, we need to make the effort to initiate conversation. That's not what that was, but hey, we need to talk to people. We need to look for the opportunities. And, and I think getting back to connecting with people in real life, in person, or, or even in person digitally, if that's the only way to do it. One-on-one, -on -one, rather than mass media, you know, one-on-one -on -one where we're connecting with people, I, I think... I think we're ripe for that. And he's talking about here, he says, make the most of the opportunities. saying, hey, look at opportunities. Look around your life and figure out how you can advance God's kingdom, who you need to talk to, how you should talk to him. That's what he's talking about. And that's when he says, you know, hey, make the most, make the most of the opportunity. 
One thing that happened, I, I mentioned that it was Labor Day weekend. I hadn't really factored that in. I had always told people, for years I've been telling people, uh, you know, you got to go to the national parks. And they always respond, you know, to get a campsite in a national park, there's like a, it's a month's waiting list, you know. And I'm like, I've never done that. I've never reserved a campsite, ever. And I've never been turned away from a national park until Labor Day of 2020. You know, then it didn't go so well. We roll in at night. It's after hours, so the park people aren't even there for the entrance. So we, we went in, I think, the northeast entrance and went into Yellowstone. And then there's a sign there that says all the camping sites are full. All of them, full, in the whole place. It's like 10 o'clock at night. We didn't have a lot of options. It's a little remote. So we cruise in. So we decide to go through the first campground. We basically come to a larger campground. And I decide, well, it says it's full. Nobody's here. But I'm going to drive through just to see. I'm pulling a little trailer. And so we drive through. And then I see some open campsites. In this one spot, I see like three open campsites pretty close to each other. By the way, these campsites are way too close together. But that's a whole other story. But I see these three campsites pretty close. And it's like 10 o'clock at night. And, I, you know, I was under the understanding that some of these were first come, first served, that they had changed things, which they did, but it's another story. But anyway, so we, I just pull into one, and we stay there. So the next morning, I'm going because you actually have to pay for those. So I, I go to the entrance, and I tell the ranger, hey, you know, I pulled in late last night. I got a campsite. I, you know, I just wanted to pay for the campsite. And the guy's like, okay, well, what's your name? Pinkerton. Okay, I'll look up your reservation. He's like, I go, well, I actually didn't have a reservation. And he didn't really understand what I mean. He goes, no, well, you know, well, when you came in late, there was your, the card with your name on it, the envelope that had all your information for the people who came late. I go, yeah, that was for people with reservations. I actually didn't have a reservation. And he's typing. All of a sudden, he just stops typing. There's a glass between us. But he's like, what? <laughs> Let me get this straight. You came in late at night, and you took somebody else's campsite. And I'm like, well, there were like three of them, and I heard it was for, it's not first come, first serve. You had to, you know, you had to reserve these. I'm like, well, when I got up this morning, two of them were still empty, and he kind of backed off a little bit after that, but then, so, you know, he's not happy with me, so I say, well, well, along, and so now he's charging me, so, you know, that's what I'm there for, and then I say, and by the way, I was wondering if I could have a campsite for tonight. No, you can't have a campsite for tonight. <laughs> it was just like, Wow. Actually ended up giving me a campsite later, but whatever. You know, he's like, no, you can't have a campsite. These are all reserved. I'm like, well, I thought they were, for not this one. <laughs> but anyway, so the next night, the next morning, we get up early, and we're going to go down to the Grand Tetons, which is close, and they border each other. And so we're going down there, and we know, wow, campsites. Didn't factor in Labor Day weekend. So we go to another campground. We pull into a campground. It's like 10 o'clock in the morning, one of the larger campgrounds. And there's a whole line of people. It's wild. I've never seen anything like this. We pull in, and there's a guy there, and I'm like, he goes, hey, this campground's full. And I'm like, well, I heard it was first come, first serve. And he goes, yeah, it is. But do you see this line of people bending around these trees? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, all these people have been in line since 2 a.m. this morning. Enough people in this line that will replace every campsite there, and that's if nobody leaves. And I'm like, you're kidding me. He's like, no. I'm like, you have any ideas? He goes, there, we have checked. There is not another campsite within 50 miles. I'm like, you're kidding me. You know, I'm, so we get in the car I, and I'm talking to my daughter, Krista, and I'm like, Krista, let's find it. You know, the national parks, 
both of them are surrounded by national forest. And if you've lived out west, you know that national forest has some places where you could do open camping. But anyway, so I tell Carissa, hey, navigate me to the nearest. We go to Bridger National Forest. She navigates me there. You can only get there from the park. And so we go on this road, and there's a little, nas there's a little national forest, not national park, national forest campground, of course. It's full. Then we go five more miles, terrible road. And there's another little campground. Of course, that's full, too, because there's no campground sites. Anyway, and so the camp host is at the second campground. And then, you know, he sees, I'm trying to find somebody, he goes, you know what, you can park in this gravel lot that they're actually working on the road. Uh, you can stay there. And I'm like, gravel lot? I'm in the middle of a national forest. I kid you not, we go about 100 yards beyond where I just talked to that guy, and there were just beautiful open campsites where, where you can camp in a national forest, designated place where you don't have to, you don't have to even pay, free. Here's our campsite. We're right on a river. And, and there's nobody around us. I mean, nobody's close to us. You know, in some of those national park campsites, it's like you can reach out and touch the next guy. You know, it's ridiculous. And so God gives us this great campsite. I mean, we're just out there. And we left our camper there the next day and went to the Grand Tetons and explored them some more and came back and camped again. It was just great. It was perfect and free. Sometimes God gives, sometimes we're looking for an opportunity and God comes along and gives us a way and it doesn't work out and God comes along and gives us a way better opportunity. It's this way when we do things for God. When we want to share our faith with people, when we want to impact people spiritually, we look for the opportunities. But I know, same thing happens to me as you. Wow, Kevin, I thought this was going to go this way, and I thought it was going to say that, but that didn't work, and it didn't go, and they zigged when I thought they were going to zag, and it just didn't work. Well, there's another way. Look for the other opportunity. Look, how can God make the... God is setting you up to make a bigger impact. It could be. Just keep going. Look for the... Op Don't just look for an opportunity. Look for the opportunities, how God can use us, because God, this is God's job that he's assigned to us. So he'll make a way. He wants us to do it, share our faith, impact people spiritually, so he'll create opportunities. We just need to pay attention and to look for them. God will provide another way if one way doesn't work. And then he talks about that we need to speak with grace. And, uh, you know, saying what's kind and loving. I mean, that's the whole point. Truthful. Be honest with people. You know, and, and if possible, encouraging. Now, I don't mean that you can't have a polite argument with somebody. Of course you can. We, uh, you know, it's, it, we're, we're arguing truth. And so we engage in that. That's what Christian nations are known for, unlike other nations where you can't do that. We're, we're open to talking about what's true, we're, to arguing truth. And then he says, as though seasoned with salt. That's how our conversation should be. Which reminds us what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Remember, as believers, we're the salt and the light of the world, right? That we, and then, you know, there's been countless sermons that people talk about, you know, we're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Well, you know, salt, what does that do? It it gives flavor to things. It, it, uh, you know, it can heal. It, it's a preservative. You know, all these things people talk about. 
And those are all true. You know, that's the way we want to be. It makes, salt makes people thirsty. That's another thing that we say. We should be living our lives in a way that makes people thirsty. I, I remember one time my, this is an old story my dad tells about him and my granddad. So my dad and my granddad, a long time ago, were going through the mountains in Colorado, and they were just uh, heading, to, I think, to the San Luis Valley, probably maybe from Kansas, I don't know, but they were up in the mountains, and so they stopped to camp. They're just traveling, but so they're camping. And they stop next to a stream, and my granddad tells my dad, hey, you make a fire, I'm going to go get some trout, and he's, he, he was a good fisherman. And so about the time he's got some coals ready to cook, my granddad comes back to the camp, and he's got five or six trout. And so they fry them up there. They had some other food, and they have this great meal. And then they're bedding down under the stars. And then as they're laying there, as they're settling in, my dad says to my granddad, I think that, I think that was the best meal I've ever had in my whole life. He didn't hear anything, so then he says, how about you? And my granddad says, no, best meal I had was in a hobo camp in the middle of Kansas next to a railroad track. <laughs> you know, and my dad's like, what? And so for like 30 minutes, they're laying there, and my dad knows, you know, they're, they're stirring a little bit. He knows his dad's not asleep yet. But he's laying there going, best meal in your life, hobo camp, what? You know, he's just not buying it. And he's thinking about that and thinking about it. And then finally, and it's almost like my granddad knew that he was going to say something. He's just waiting for it, you know. And so finally he says, okay, whoa, whoa. Okay, dad, when you had that best meal at the hobo camp, how long had it been since you had eaten? Three days. <laughs> best meal. Here's what I'm saying. As believers, we should be living our life in a way that creates a hunger for other people. That they say, wow, I want what you have. What's going on with your life? Sometimes people will just come out, I don't get it. How are you doing life? How come everything's going this way for you? What's going on? Because we experience hardships like everybody else. But a lot of times, they don't want to do that. They don't want to just come out and say, hey, why do you got a grip on life and I don't? Why do you have it all together and I don't? And we don't have it all together. Instead, they'll just come to you and say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But a lot of times they're asking you because they're seeing something in you that's different. And hopefully what they're seeing is they're seeing that you have joy and peace and purpose for your life, that you wake up, you have meaning, you're, you're living. As a believer, they should see this strange, strange mix of confidence and humility, because that's what believers have. We're confident, hey, Christ has saved us, he's got a mission for us, we're confident. We're humble in that we don't deserve anything that we have, it's all a gift from God. People notice those things. We should live in a way that creates a hunger, like salt makes people thirsty. That they, they realize, hey, I'm missing something. I need something. That's the way we should live. And we should expect that kind of a question. And we should be prepared for what we're going to say for an answer. As a matter of fact, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, a well-known verse, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. 
always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence or gentleness and respect. He's telling us, be ready. We should be living our life in a way that people come to us and say, what's going on? Why do you think this way? Why do you do this? How are you doing that? And we are ready with an answer. And so what are we talking about? Paul's telling us, you want to change the world one heart at a time? This is the way you do it. You talk to God about people and you talk to people about God. But there's just one more thing that I want to throw in here. And that's really the last phrase of verse 6 where it says this. So that you'll know how to respond to each person. And that's this. The third point is simply, we need to recognize that there's different ways to connect with different people. That that we're all wired up differently and people are wired up differently and we need to be wise about the opportunities that we're talking to them in a way that will be effective to reach them personally. We impact our city by talking to people about God, but we recognize that there are different ways to talk to different people. Does that make sense? And that's what I wanna zero in on just for a minute. Forget all that for a second. Think, think of this way. We, most of us as believers, unless you're a brand new believer, you know that God is telling us to share our faith with other people. And if you don't know that, he is. You'll, if you read the New Testament, you'll find that over and over. God is telling us we should share our faith with other people. Most of us don't share our faith with other people very often, or it's been a while. Why? Because it's hard. It's awkward. It, it, there's a lot of reasons. We don't think it'll work. We don't feel equipped. We don't feel qualified, you know, whatever the case may be. But God wants to use all of his people, every believer. God wants us to use our mouths, use what we say to impact others. And so in the Bible, we see that there's a ton of different ways of doing that. It's not just a one-size-fits-all. It started when the church started. Remember after Christ was crucified. This town, just Jerusalem, just saw Christ put to death. And God needed somebody to stand up and boldly confront the entire town. And Peter's the guy that did that, remember? And Peter is a bold, confrontational, straight-talking guy. And he just gets up. You know, a month or two after the resurrection, he just gets up and starts preaching on a street corner. He's just saying, hey, you, you people, you Jewish people, you crucified our Messiah. And that got people's attention. And before that was over, in that one day, 3,000 people came to be Christians. 3,000 people. First church was a big church. 3,000 people came to Christ. Kevin, I'm not that bold, confrontational guy. Okay, look at Paul. Paul, who a lot of times we kind of refer to him as maybe the greatest Christian that ever lived. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. He's, he's in another city, Athens. Do you remember the story? I think it's Acts 17. He's in Athens, 
And then he, he wants to reach his city, but these people, they're sort of philosophical people and they have a ton of gods and they're always arguing and he's trying to figure out how do I break the mold? And so he's there in the city looking at all these statues stood up everyone for representing all these different false gods. And then he wants to engage the philosophers and that's all they do is sit around and argue about God. And then he finds an empty pedestal that says this is dedicated to the unknown God because we don't want to forget any of the gods. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. He says there's only one God, the creator God, the true God, all these other false gods, and he's, he's the God of the empty pedestal here, and let me explain him to you. And he impacts the city of Athens by reasoning. Paul, he's a, he's a theologian. He reasons. He's an intellectual. He takes on the intellectual thought of the day. That's how he impacts. And I know some of you think, well, Kevin, I'm not, I'm not the intellectual, you know, theological intellectual guy. That doesn't really fit me. Okay, well, look at the blind man. John chapter 9. Remember him? He's just some guy who had a tragic incident in his life. He was born blind. He's minding his own business. Jesus comes walking into his town with some of his disciples. They use him. The disciples use this guy for the question of suffering that everybody wants to ask Jesus and says, Jesus, why, why is it this guy born blind? Was that because of something he did in the future or in his mother's womb? Or is he being punished by God? Or was it his parents? You know, what's going on? Do you remember all that? In the meantime, Jesus heals this guy. Well, when that happens, that cause got the attention of all the religious leaders that are opposed to Jesus. So they can't find Jesus, but they can find him. So they start writing this guy, you know, what's going on? How did this happen? This guy's not God. This guy's not a good teacher. This guy's doing things he shouldn't be doing as they're talking about Jesus. And remember, this guy's the blind man. He's not a theologian. He's not equipped to take this on. What does he say? Hey, all I know, he healed me. So put that in your pipe and smoke. You know, he healed me. And then they kept attacking him and they removed him from the synagogue. And then they drug his parents in. And they were threatening his parents to remove them from the synagogue. They say, hey, he's of age. He can answer for himself. And they're still writing him. And he goes, hey, well, this guy, he's not God. He's not a prophet. And he goes, well, you say that he's not this and he's not that. Well, then how did he do what he did? How did he change me? And they kept riding him, and he kept courageously just standing up saying, well, you don't know who he is. Wow, that's interesting, because this guy just did something nobody can do. And he just hammers them, hammers them. And ha it's a great story, John 9. Go reread it. It's good stuff. And he impacts his city. And by the way, at the end of all that, the answer to that original question about the suffering that we've been talking a lot about in Job that we just finished up last week is that sometimes bad things happen simply to glorify God, to glorify God. So God can use this situation to make an impact on people. Well, do we realize that we all have a story? If, if we're Christians, God has changed our life. If God hasn't changed our life, we need to double-check that because we should be demonstrating change if we're a believer. Well, Kevin, I don't have some dramatic story. Great, because a, a non-dramatic story will connect with your friends better than a dramatic story will connect with your friends. Your story will connect with them than the, better than the blind man's story. 
I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I, I can be that confrontive. I don't know if I come up with all those things to say. Over and over in the Bible, all these different things are happening. Remember all the different disciples. You know, they're, they're from all different walks of life. Remember, there's a zealot there, a guy who's like death to Rome. Let's just go put a shiv in the back of them when they're not looking. You know, that's the way to get independence, a zealot. That's how he was before he came to Christ. There's another guy. He's a tax collector for Rome. Matthew, remember him? Jesus comes up to him and says, follow me. The guy that's hated by all the Jewish people, follow me. This guy leaves a financially secure position and starts following Christ. But before he does that, he knows, wow, I got all my friends. These are not religious people. These are hated people, my fellow tax collectors. So what's he do? He throws a goodbye party. Hey, guys, I'm out of here. I'm following Jesus. Come to my house. Let's have a good time together. And they all come. And Jesus' disciples come. And then he mixes these people, the tax collector, non-religious, irreligious crowd with the Christians who are following Christ's crowd. And he gets them. He makes a way for them to rub shoulders together so he can impact his friends for Christ because he's brand new. And so he does that. You know, some people will never come to Christ until they have a relationship but where they know somebody personally. And, and it, sometimes, for some people, it's not just, hey, let's get on this conversation and make a decision here. For some people, you don't even get to the conversation until you build a rapport with them, until they feel like you're their friend, that they're not going to talk to you about anything that really matters until they have a friendship with you. And so we need people that are just that way, that they are into building deep, long friendships and putting in the time and then slowly bringing these things out with them. We try to make a difference. Luke mentioned the t-shirts. You know, I got t-shirts. We're realizing we're a little late on our t-shirts. Here, first day I wake up and it's like, whoa, kind of chilly. We got t-shirts for sale. Great. You know, why are we selling t-shirts? It's not a fundraiser. I know you, people sell T-shirts. It's a fun rate. Not here. Here, these T-shirts cost us about $9 and some odd cents. We're selling them for 10 bucks, which are more expensive than our old T-shirts, but everybody wanted nicer T-shirts. You know, who knows? But whatever. We, we got T-shirts. Why? So you can represent grace. Hopefully, represent God. Why? Conversation starter. You're wearing a T-shirt. Hopefully, people say, oh, what's that shirt? Oh, that's my church. Never say just that. That's my church. Don't ever say, that's my church. That's my church, and then keep going with that. Conversation starter, right? Oh, that's my church. Do you go to church anywhere? Oh, really? What do they believe? Oh, oh no? Oh, you ought to come and check out Grace. I think you would love Grace. Oh, yeah, that's my church. We, we come together every Sunday and learn more about Jesus. What do you think about Jesus? Conversation starter. Oh, that's my church. Yeah, we come together and we just dig into the Word of God. Have you ever read the Bible? Oh, you have. Well, then you know what the main message of the Bible is. What, what, it, what do you think that is? Be good. No. 
You've read the Bible. You missed the main message. This is the greatest book in history. This book has sold more copies than any other book. This is the most read book in all the world, and you've missed the main message of the book. It's simple. It's not be good. It's we can't be good. There's a thousand ways to answer the question, right? It, don't stop with, oh, that's my church, and go back to work. Oh, that's my church. And then a thousand ways to continue that conversation to help people understand and shed a little bit more light on God. Kevin, I don't, I don't get opportunities like that. I don't think on my feet that fast. Either do I. Think about it in advance. Oh, I'm putting on this shirt today. Somebody may ask me, what am I going to say? Think about it. That's what Paul's telling us to do right here. And if you can't do any of that about sharing your faith, then here's what you can do. Just invite somebody to church. Remember the woman at the well? Here Jesus is traveling somewhere, and, and he decides to go through Samaria, and sort of known as the half-breeds, you know, half-Jewish people. And a lot of times Jewish people avoided that, but he goes through, and then he comes to this little town, and there's a well outside of town, and then he sends his disciples, hey, you 12 guys, walk over to that little village and get a meal for 13, you know, which doesn't make a lot of sense, right? You 12, go get all the food that we'll need for 13 people. Yeah, whatever. They go get a meal. And what's he doing? He ends up talking to this lady alone. Kind of not done in that culture. She has three strikes against her, by the way. She's a woman. Men didn't talk to women that they didn't know in a situation like that. Racially, there was a divide. Samaritan, Jewish people didn't interact with Samaritans. You know, and morally, she's messed up. And she's got moral issues in her life. And so Jesus crashes through all those barriers. Racial barrier means nothing. Gender barrier means nothing. And he engages her in conversation. Even the moral barrier, he engages her. And he starts talking to her about him. About who he is and what his mission is. And then she starts to become convinced, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy could be the Messiah that the Jewish people and even us Samaritans are waiting for. And as she becomes convinced of that, what does she do? She runs back. About this time, the disciples return. She runs off to her town. Maybe it's just 100 yards away or so. And she tells them, hey, come and see this guy who's told everything I've ever did, which is a bunch of bad stuff. He knows everything about me. Could this be the Messiah? And so what happens? The whole town turns out. They start listening to Jesus. They ask Jesus to stay. Jesus ends up staying for two days, and then most of the town becomes a Christian. Why? One woman. Was she a leader? No, she wasn't before that. Was she an influencer? No. If you would have took a survey of the town, you would have thought, this lady is probably the last person that would be effective in reaching this town for Christ. And God used her to impact the whole city, so much so that when Jesus is leaving after two days, these guys say in front of Jesus and her, hey, you told us, but we no longer believe just because what you said. We believe this guy, Jesus, is the Savior. Not just of Jew Jews or Samaritans. They say, we believe this guy, Jesus, is the Savior of the world. One woman, probably the last person we'd pick to be able to, to do that, and she does that. A city was changed because she took responsibility. 
She took responsibility. Maybe for a city that laughed at her, jeered her, we don't know. She took responsibility to impact them. It's just not that hard. Yesterday, I ran into a guy. I struck up a conversation. His name's Josh. He might even be here right now. So Josh and I are talking. He's 29 days back from a deployment in the China Sea. And then he find, I, I start turning things to grace. He knows about grace. And so I invite him. It's just not that hard. We talked about all kinds of things. But it started with a conversation. And that's what we need to do. And, and by the way, every friend you have should know that you're a believer. If they don't know you're a believer, then that's an issue that you need to correct. Every friend you have should know that you're a believer. And if you have never talked to them about Christ, they probably know something about the Christian message. They're going to come to two, one of two conclusions. They're going to either think that you really don't believe what Christianity teaches, for example, that they would be going to hell, that you don't really believe that, or two, that you do believe it and you don't give a rip about them. Even people who are antagonistic toward Christianity can appreciate the fact that their Christian friend is telling them about Christianity. Does that make sense? Because even if they don't like Christianity, they get, well, they think I'm going to hell. And if they care about me, of course, they're going to tell me about that. Even they can figure that out. So yeah, you think your friend might be put off. Your friend may be more put off by your faith that you've never talked to them about it. We can impact people in a thousand ways. How was I most impacted? Think about this. How, who impacted you most, the most spiritually? I was probably impacted early in my life. The most, no doubt, was, was my mom. Not that she said a whole lot because she took me, she became a believer after, you know, as a grown woman, and then started taking us kids to church. And then at church, I learned about God. But here's what I remember from her life. When she was a little girl, her family didn't go to church. And then one day, a family that lived a couple miles away, these are, this is rural, so everything's by square miles, all the roads, a family that lived a couple miles down the road, which is two houses, um, invited her to church and said they would pick her up in their car. And so she said, yeah, I think they invited maybe, she was one of seven, but she's the only one that went. And back then, you wore church, dresses to church. My mom had one dress. She wore that one dress every Sunday and went to church. When these people picked her up, I think that happened for a couple years. Every Sunday they picked her up. She put her in her one dress and went to church. She didn't become a Christian then. She became a Christian after she was married on a Navy base out in California. But I know that those times, that time in church probably helped her to make that decision for Christ later. Here, here's my point. What are you doing to impact people for the kingdom? You don't know how God will use you. Make an impact. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. One of two things. And we're going long, so I'm going to speed this up. Here's my challenge. One of two things. Practically, rubber meets the road. What do we do? I want to challenge all of you. 
Let me back up just a little bit. I'm going to do something that we did about a year ago. A year ago, we launched Tiffin, remember? And we did this thing where we said, okay, we're challenging everybody on all three of our campuses to pray for three. Well, we only had two then. But pray for three people and invite three people to church. And so they did that. When they did that, the next Sunday, we had, I, I think it was 769 people more in church the next Sunday after people committed to invite people. Because not everybody comes, but some do. 769 people, more people came the next Sunday. 44 of those people gave their life to Christ that Sunday. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Two-fold challenge. One, that you'll pray for three people. Three people who you think don't know Christ. And second challenge is that you'll invite them to church next Sunday. And if not next Sunday, you get behind the following Sunday. And I'm committing to you that the next two Sundays were heavy on the gospel so that they'll get the clear message. Remember last year when we did that, we had the wristbands. You remember that? Who got a wristband back then? You know, to remind us they're back. Because here's what happens. We make a commitment to God. Yeah, I need to do that. And then we get busy in the week and we come back to church the next Sunday and it's like, oh, wow, I was, I was going to do that. Here's what I'm asking you to do is grab a wristband. They're in these tan boxes on either side or out at the info table or at the, I, I'm going to ask them to be put on the soundboard right there on the way out or the cafe and grab it and put it on your wrist and don't take it off until you've done it. Don't take it off until you've prayed about three people who don't know Christ and invited three people to grace or, or talked to them, shared the gospel, talked to them about Christ. But Kevin, I have one of those at home. I know, but you'll forget. You'll go home and think, yeah, I'll go put it on when I get home. And then you'll, and the next Sunday you'll go, oh, I was going to go home and put that on, but I forgot because that's what I would do. I want you to grab one. I want you to do it during this song. Tim's going to lead us in a song about impacting our city. It's a flyover of our three areas, Tiffin, Northwood, Fremont. And during the song, I just want you to make your way, come up and grab a wristband, put it on with the intention of not taking it off for the next two weeks until you do these two things. Pray for three, invite three. If you don't catch them here, they're out there. Everybody understand what I'm saying? That's my challenge. Let's stand together. Will you take the challenge? Come up, grab a wristband. Let's do it.